The Zvol podcast is a casual conversation that occasionally delves into mature subjects and may contain vulgar adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Z-Ball Podcast. I'm Zeeshan Khan. A lot of exciting games going on in the NBA playoffs, and what a playoffs it's been so far. Uh, pretty injury-riddled in the Western Conference, and that has pretty much uh, kind of uh, diluted the couple of the playoff series. But nonetheless, some exciting games going on, and a lot of stuff to get into today in my podcast. Uh, two Game 7s in the East going on. A lot of new coaching hires, but first we'll start in the Western Conference. And uh, joining me today, a, law, a recurring guest on my podcast from the Bay Area, Saeed. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Uh, really bummed out about the Clippers situation, but I, I guess we'll go ahead and start in the Western Conference in the with the first series in the semifinals. We'll start uh, Golden State against Portland. Uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on how you think the series is going to play out. Um, you know, I think uh, with Curry out, Golden State has a shot. Now it looks like you know reports are that Curry's doing well in rehab and he's targeting to get back before before Feb ninth, but. Uh, that, that still means he's going to miss a couple of games, maybe three or four games. Um, so if Portland's able to take advantage, um, you know, they, they have a shot in the series. And uh, even with Curry in the lineup, you know, during the year, um, Portland is one of those teams that gave Golden State uh, a fit during the regular season. Um, Damian Lillard absolutely goes off on Seth Curry. So, uh, Without Steph Curry in there, I'm sure he'll still be able to to get his. So. Okay, definitely. I I kind of feel like it's a little bit of a disadvantage for uh, Damian Lillard with Curry out, not just because he has to guard him and he's Curry's so explosive, but defensively, I think they're just going to throw a lot at him. And with Livingston starting and the the length that I think they're going to throw Clay Livingston. Harrison Barnes, these types of guys at him, and it might be a little tough. So, I mean, I think Curry being out is really a big blow for the Warriors, but definitely they they caught themselves a a really huge break in their advantage after Chris Ball and Blake Griffin went down. And Curry, I think he'll be out to, like, game six, but I I don't think this series is going to get to game six. I think the Golden State's going to win it in five. So, uh, what, what do you think? Uh, how many games do you think uh, Golden State or Portland will win this series in? Yeah, I think ultimately Golden State's going to probably pull this out, but I see it going a little bit longer, either six or seven games, because uh, Curry won't be there. I mean, they absolutely annihilated the Rockets in, in round one, even though Curry missed most of those games. And so you can see just how deep that team is. 
So I think eventually they'll pull this out, but uh, Val Curry, I think it's going to take six or seven games. Okay, definitely. Uh, kind of, what do you think uh, besides Lillard and McCollum for the Blazers? Who, what What do you think are some other X play X factors for the Blazers or kind of some wild card players? Yeah, they have a lot of young players like Mason Plumlee. He's a solid like four or five. They got um, Arcliffe and a couple other players that step up big. Uh, Aminu, all freak Aminu has had a couple of big games. Uh, you know, he's able to knock down shots from a perimeter because, like, McCollum and Lillard, like, really set him off really nicely. So, uh, they have a couple of nice role players on that team. And obviously, I think Lillard is um, he's vastly underrated. I think he's he's so much of a better player than, like, say, someone like Draymond Green, who's an all-star starter, while Lillard didn't even make the team. I think he's so underrated. Well, Lillard is uh, excellent uh, offensively. I think where his deficiencies come in is on the defensive side. And I think that's where I really see uh, Portland having a lot of trouble because Golden State's really deep and they move the ball really well and they struggle uh, defensively. Even against the uh, undermanned Clippers team the last two games, they you kind of saw some of those defensive lapses kind of hurt them. And, but Ultimately, I think Warriors in five, and then you you think Warriors in six or seven? Yep. Okay, definitely. Uh, what do you think uh, this is about the Warriors uh, always catching these uh, fortunate breaks? Do you think it's just in their destiny? you think they're always uh, in the crosshairs of good luck? What do you think uh, ultimately about the the mis- misfortunes and ultimate uh, good fortunes of Golden State within the last week? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy. They, they get a lot of things fall their way. Um, you know, like, I think if they played the Jazz or some other team in the first round, they would have had a lot of trouble. Instead, they got to play the Rockets, who um, don't care about winning. Um, so even with Curry up, you know, they got to breathe through the first round. And, yeah, like you said, you know, now now they get to face the undermanned Clippers team. Um, or I mean, they would have, they might have had to face the Clippers if the Clippers were healthy, but um, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin go down, so you know Clippers don't even advance. But at the same time, you know that's life in the NBA. Injuries happen. You could say what if, but that's just how it is. You know they 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 have to deal with their own injury issues with uh, the MVP out. So. Yeah, definitely. I feel like uh, as bad as it is for the Clippers, uh, definitely uh, it's that's kind of a a part for every championship in the past probably like ten, fifteen years. Every championship has to get a little lucky and catch a little some breaks here or there, and how the schedule breaks, how the injuries come out, and how everyone deals with it. So uh, definitely, we'll move into the next uh, Western Conference semifinal series, and that this is. The one I'm really looking forward to, we have Oklahoma City Thunder versus the San Antonio Spurs. What's your overall thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be an exciting series to watch. And uh, if you see um, some of the quotes by uh, Kevin Durant, you can see just how pissed he is right now. But I think he's going to come out pretty motivated. Um, 
you know, they put it to the, the Mavericks in the first round pretty good. Uh, but it looks like they're pretty dialed in. But at the same time, you know, Greg Popovich's teams are always ready and prepared. So, uh, they're not going to catch the Spurs off guard or anything like that. So uh, I, I look for an exciting series. But ultimately, I think the, the Spurs are going to pull it out. Um, Kawhi Leonard is definitely going to have to step up, but he has throughout this whole year. So I see the Spurs winning that one in seven. All right, definitely. I definitely see this one going the distance as well, and I'm definitely going to lean towards the Spurs as well just because uh, the one problem I always have with Oklahoma City is their their late-game uh, offensive sets, and they keep going back to their same old habits, the isolation hero ball, and it becomes too predictable for other defenses, and the Spurs had one of the most historic defenses in NBA history this year, and they're always a very good defensive team with uh, the likes of Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, Tim Duncan, LaMarcus Aldridge, and so forth, and they're always going to be ready. They're They're always ready for these types of situations. But the Thunder, I mean, like, they have two of the five best players in the league, and they are they always have a chance in any series against any team just because they have the talent on their side. And they have a lot of exciting players. But I, I just think down late-game execution, the Spurs, I think, are going to be much more flawless in that when it comes to that aspect, and I think they're ultimately going to pull it out in seven games. What, what do you think about uh, this uh, situation with Oklahoma City, about their whole team embracing the halal lifestyle? Um, You know, that, that's pretty cool. Like, obviously, I guess, you know, Enos Cantor is most likely adhering to that, that halal diet, which not even all Muslims do, so uh, it, it's nice to see him doing that. And then at the same time, it's nice to see how how close the team is. You know, they're they're supporting their, their teammate, uh, going out and having dinner with him and, you know, staying together like that. You know, I think it creates team chemistry and helps out the team overall. You can see that with, like, the Rockets. They had no team chemistry, and part of that was because James Harden would stay away from the team the whole time. It, on the away games, he wouldn't even come to the to the, to the arena with the with the team on the bus. He'd come by himself. So, uh, see a team kind of like sticking together, supporting on the teammates, stuff like that. Uh, it's nice to see. Okay, definitely. If if anybody hasn't uh, read that article about Oklahoma City, basically it's. Uh, Ines Kanter, uh, a Muslim player coming from Turkey on Oklahoma City's team, uh, he's adhering to halal uh, zabiha ways, which require uh, meat to be slaughtered in a a different type of practice and a, a blessed way. And the Oklahoma City staff has been uh, getting uh, special meals for him on the road and at home games after Oklahoma City games. So one time, uh, Stephen Adams requested if he could eat some of Enos's food, and he really uh, liked it after trying it. And then he told the staff, the staff member of Oklahoma City, that get me whatever Enos is getting every time we're on the road at home after games. It's really delicious. And then the whole team has come on board, with the exception of their their best player, Kevin Durant. He does not really with it. 
he he thinks it's nasty. He thinks the food is nasty, and he's not really liking the preferential treatment treatment that Enos Cantor is getting. He said, if I, if he had some sort of situation like that, uh, the team would probably make him go out and get his own food. So, do you think this is ultimately a kind of factor that might lead Kevin Durant out of Oklahoma City at the end of the year, side? Um, that I'm not sure about. You know. It's, uh, I don't know how it feels about this particular situation, but it felt like the article said that he was goofing around, that he was, you know, he wasn't serious with those quotes. Uh, and it feels like, you know, he, he he keeps saying he likes playing with with uh, Westbrook, and I think that's the biggest thing. Those those two are top five players, and you're always looking to play with another superstar. So if you go somewhere else. Um, you know, it's going to be like, how does he fit in with that other player? How's the team going to be? Um, you know, and I, I don't think Kevin Durant's one of those people who's looking for like the limelight in LA or New York or Boston. So ultimately, I think it's going to depend on how, how well the team does. So I think this is a pretty big series for not only Oklahoma City, but for Kevin Durant to. You know, if they're able to compete with the Spurs, maybe he comes back. But if they're not, maybe that gives them doubt that uh, he should stay with the team. So. All right, definitely. Uh, Oklahoma City's uh, San Antonio Spurs are, series are always really exciting in the past, like, three four years. So uh, what do you think about, uh, I guess, Kevin Durant? I mean, the way his kind of, uh, kind of attitude has changed over the years. I mean, he went from being a rookie, a kind of exciting player in Seattle on a bad team, and then the next two, two three years, part of a di- exciting dynamic duo with Russell Westbrook, and then from there becoming like a team that no doubt should win a title. They never have yet at this. They have yet to do so at this point. And uh, he's really becoming kind of getting uh, – his attitude has changed a lot in the first eight, nine years of his career. What do you think has brought about this uh, tough guy attitude that he's, sh- he's shown in this in this Dallas series uh, most recently? Yeah, you know, you can see that he's pretty pissed off now, and uh, he, sometimes he seems a little overconfident. He is definitely one of the best players in the league, but he's been in the league for a while now, and uh, you know. The place to kind of cement yourself as one of the real superstars of this league is is in the playoffs. So um, he's been to one NBA Finals, but he hasn't won any. Um, and really, now it's really his time in the playoffs to prove that he is one of the best players in the league. Until he's able to do that, you know, I don't think he has or he should have the authority to like really push off everybody he can get off on. And so overconfident and cocky. Okay, definitely. Do you think he gets some of this edge from uh, the brash and flamboyant uh, teammate of his, Russell Westbrook? Uh, definitely. Uh, you know, I don't think Westbrook is as um, loud and like expressive of that in terms of his words, but you can see in terms of his play and his demeanor, he's definitely one one of those guys over a few parts. All right, definitely. So uh, I guess we got some t- 
two exciting a Western Conference uh, semifinal series. Uh, they should be very interesting. Hope everyone enjoys that. Uh, now we'll get into the Eastern Conference, and which is the semifinals picture. Still has a lot to be determined in that conference. Uh, so we'll start with the series that is determined. Uh, we have the Cleveland Cavaliers coming off a four-game sweep over the Detroit Pistons, facing off against the Atlanta Hawks, who coming off a six-game series win over the Boston Celtics. What's your overall thoughts on this one, Syed? Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think the Cleveland Cavaliers are clearly the best team in the East. Um, but I think they'll be able to handle the Hawks in five. Uh, if, the, you know, the Hawks are playing well right now, so I could see the series going six, but I definitely don't see the Hawks uh, winning the series. I think the, the Cavs will win it five. Yeah, definitely I'm going to go Cleveland as well, but I'm going to go in six games. I think the Hawks are, I think, are better off this year than they were last year. It's kind of surprising to say that, considering they won 60, 60 games last year and were the one seed in the East. But I think they're better geared to handle this Cleveland team this year. And just overall for Cleveland uh, in that first series, they had some pretty tough games against Detroit. What do you think was ultimately the problem for them in the first series, and why do you think uh, Detroit got so close in some of those games? Um, I think part of it is because uh, their defense, um, with, I think, Irving and Love in the game, I think they lose some of their defensive intensity that they would have with some of their other players in instead. Um, but at the same time, uh, you can see that Irving and, and Love kind of stepped up in that series as well. So as long as they're able to play well, um, uh, I think the Cavs are definitely kind of the team to beat. And, uh, you know, we, we all saw that in the finals. Without Love and Irving, the Cavs had so much trouble scoring. So if, if Irving and Love are able to provide that type of support to, to LeBron, this team, I think they'll be able to give whoever comes out of the West a push. All right, definitely. Uh, Kyrie Irving and uh, Kevin Love played ex- absolutely excellent in the first round against uh, Detroit. And luck- luckily for Cleveland this time around, they have all three of their stars healthy going into the Western Conference semifinals last year. Kevin Love was out with the shoulder injury at this point. And what do you think uh, the evolution of Kevin Love in this team's offense has looked like? And what do you think it will be like going forward? Well, I mean, like, I always thought he was super overrated when he was with, with the Timberwolves. And you could see kind of, he he has a limited kind of game. Uh, he, he has no athleticism at all, so it's hard for him to really create a shot, except kind of on the post-up on a really smallish player. Um, so I think he, he, he's pretty limited, but he's able to provide, at least like he's able to knock down shots um, from the perimeter and post up on some players. So, you know, if he's able to do that and actually hit a shot, he, he, he definitely helps out the Cavs. And, you know, Kyrie Irving's a little bit inconsistent. They really need him to play at all-star level type player that he is. And if he's able to do that, you know, the Cavs are really a dangerous team. 
I mean, yeah, he was definitely playing as good or even better than LeBron in the first round. LeBron was, I think, kind of uh, didn't bring his full gear in that first round, even though he still did play pretty well. But uh, do you think uh, you're gonna re- we're gonna need something from Kyrie Irving, kind of like what we had from Dwayne Wade in 2012 for Miami, for Cleveland to ultimately be the best team that they can be? Yeah, I think so, definitely. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think LeBron can carry the load all the time, and uh, but if he's able to get some help, um, and I mean, I, I think that's part of the reason why he came to the Cavs, because you Kyrie Irving was there. You know, he, he kind of forced the Cavs to get Kevin Love. So these are the two players he wanted to play with. Um, so, uh, you know, if they're able to play their capabilities they're definitely a dangerous team okay definitely and on the other side for Atlanta if they are to pull off the upset uh, what do you think will be the most important I guess player on their team who will ultimately break out you know the Hawks are really kind of a a well rounded team so you know they need all their they don't have like one true superstar but the three biggest players definitely need to step up. I think, you know, Paul Millsap, who had a 45-point game against the, the uh, Celtics. They need him to play big. They need Al Horford, who's probably their best player. They need him to play big every game, and Jeff Teague as well. I think those, those are kind of their key three players. Last year, you could see that they keyed off of Kyle Korver, and once Kyle Korver got injured, <laughs> They kind of really went down, but uh, you know the offense should really be uh, dependent on uh, Teague, Horford, and Elstaff, and I think those, those are kind of their key players. Okay, definitely for them on the defensive side, uh, they're probably going to throw guys like uh, Kent Bazemore and Thavo Cephalosha on LeBron. Who do you think is ultimately is the best uh, defender that they can throw on LeBron on their side? Um, you know, yeah, I think like Baysmore and Pablo um, Cephalosha are, are probably their best bet because you know they're six seven long wing players who are pretty athletic, so they're able to keep up with the uh, LeBron. Those are the type of players LeBron has trouble against, you know, offensively. If you think of kind of a Kawhi Leonard or Andre Iguodala in the finals last year. Those are the players that are able to kind of keep up with LeBron a little bit. But uh, neither Bazemore or Kevin Stephalos are in that sort of class where I think they're able to shut down LeBron. So uh, ultimately, I think LeBron's going to be able to get it. But um, I think those two players can do a decent job, at least of holding him in check. All right. Do we ever see any uh, sort of cross matches with LeBron playing at the four with uh, Paul Millsap or Al Horford even uh, guarding LeBron on some switches? Um, you know, maybe on the switch, but if that happens, I think that's definitely a mismatch because I don't think either one of those two players can stay with LeBron. Okay, definitely. Uh, we saw some of uh, Millsap last year in the Eastern Conference Finals and. LeBron uh, ultimately had a big uh, big play on one of those matches with Millsap at the end of game two. And definitely, well, we'll move into the the next series as we have a consensus 
and the Cleveland uh, Atlanta series, we both think Cleveland's going to win in either five or six games. So the next series is not really determined in the Eastern Conference as both of these ser- first round series are going into game seven. So ultimately just wanted to get your thoughts on who you think is going to come out in the Detroit or the, sorry, excuse me, the Toronto versus Indiana series. And and who do you think is ultimately going to win that game seven? Um, you know, uh, Toronto had a lot of support all year because everyone kind of jumped on their bandwagon based on them getting like 50 wins or whatever. But I, I was never a huge fan of Toronto because I don't think they have a true kind of star. Um, DeRozan and Pat Larry really haven't been playing well in the playoffs. Um, and Paul George, I think, is is still a real you know, one of the better players in the NBA. Um, so it's really hard to call that series right now, but just given the way Paul George is playing, I, you know, I think the Pacers are going to pull off the upset in Game 7. You can see that they really smack the, the Raptors in Game 6. Um, so um, I, I see the Pacers coming out there. And in terms of the other series, it's been surprising to see uh, Kepo Walker and Jeremy Lin really take it to the Heat. Um, Stephen is able to kind of neutralize Hassan Whiteside a little bit. Uh, he hasn't been having those huge games that he was having in the regular season. And, you know, in game six, Dwayne Wade was able to step up, but it's not the Dwayne Wade of like 10 years ago. So Dwayne Wade really isn't able to kind of carry the load for games at a time. He, he might be able to do it one game here and there, but not consistently, so that's been kind of surprising. All right, definitely. Uh, yeah, Paul George is definitely still one of the top ten players in the league. And then if you look at this entire series with Toronto and Indiana, I think Indiana, in my opinion, has clearly been the better team in the first six games of the series. As They should have probably should have won game five as well. They really uh, blew the game down the stretch. <laughs> And what do you what do you think about this uh, loser, this idiot Drake on the sidelines in Toronto? I think he really needs to uh, kind of uh, calm down a little more and mind his own business. And what do you think about all of his his antics and his stupid antics on the sideline in game the game five win for Toronto? Um, he's really annoying, and so is his music. So uh, yeah, he he needs to take a seat. Yeah, definitely, I agree with that. Uh, so, but going on to who will probably come out, I, I think I just think Indiana's been the better team all series, and this is really a bad matchup for Toronto as Indiana really takes away their two best players, Toronto's two best players, and Kyle Lowry and Demar Derozan, and I just think Indiana's probably gonna win. I think it'll be a close game, but I, I think ultimately Indiana's gonna win, and they're gonna move on into the West, the Eastern Conference semifinals. And for the other series, Charlotte against Miami. Well, Miami looked <laughs> absolutely spectacular the first two games. And then Charlotte kind of played the, their pace the next three games and kind of controlled the series. But yesterday, I, the only thing that saved the heat was Dwayne Wade hitting two three-pointers. The first three-pointers he's made since uh, December. And it, he's only made seven three-pointers all season. So I don't know what to kind of read into that, but I think uh, Miami's 
other players, the kind of role players will play better at home. And I think I'm going to go with Miami in the other series. And I think they're ultimately going to pull it out at home and then they're going to move on into the Eastern Conference semifinals. So hypothetically speaking, if the series, the Eastern Conference semifinals was Toronto versus Charlotte, who do you think would win that series? Um, I'll, I'll probably pick Toronto in that series, but uh, yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think ultimately, I think the Pacers are gonna uh, win Game Seven. I think the Heat are gonna win Game Seven at home. So those are the two teams I see squaring up in the next round. Okay, yeah. For Toronto, uh, Charlotte, I would probably go Toronto in six, but I don't think I don't see that happening. We both kind of agree. We both think it will be a Indiana versus Miami. But uh, hypothetically, for Indiana versus Charlotte, who do you think would win that series? Um, I, I think Indiana would win that series. I think um, Paul George would be able to pull that one out. And, and yeah, I mean, I haven't seen Kemba Walker kind of consistently take over in that stage in the playoffs, so... I wouldn't expect him to stay hot the way he has been in, in the Miami series. Yeah, I just think Indiana probably has more answers for him defensively if that series were to take place. And I would probably go Indiana in seven that series, even though Charlotte would probably have a home court. But let's move into the, the last hypothetical in the Eastern Conference. That would probably be Toronto versus Miami, which would I think would actually be a pretty fun series. Uh, if that were to take place, who do you think would win that one? <clears throat> You know, I, th- I think Miami, I think, you know, in those first two games against Charlotte, they really showed up. And, um, you know, I think they have a lot more potential as a team. And I'm just not a big believer in DeMar Rosen and Kyle Lowry. So I'll, I'll see Miami pulling that series out. Yeah, I'd probably go Miami in six as well. And that, if that were to take, that were the case, Toronto versus Miami. But uh, ultimately, we both think it's going to be Indiana versus Miami. So how do you see that one playing out? Yeah, that's a little tough to call, you know. Um, Indiana didn't have the best regular season, even though Paul Jurgers is relatively healthy all year. Um, Here, I think it's going to be a series that goes to the water. Ultimately, it's what happens. But... Just the experience, the playoff experience that that Miami has with Dwayne Wade, and I think I think they're a deeper team. It's Rogic and Whiteside uh, and Dane alongside Wade. Um, I would see them pulling it out in seven. Yeah, I would probably go Miami in six, and if that were if that were to take place, and which I think it will, I just think Miami is deeper, and it would ultimately in that series it would be ultimately about who controls the pace. Miami, obviously, as of late, likes to run a fast-paced offense, and Indiana likes to go old school and kind of control the pace, slow it down, hard defensive battle. So I think Miami would ultimately be able to play their pace and ultimately win the, that series in six games. What What do you think uh, – what's your overall take on this Chris Bosh situation? Him uh, Snapchatting – taking uh, practice three-point shots, saying he still has it. What do you think 
ultimately is the underlying reason he's not on the court? Well, I mean, I'm sure, like, he feels well for a little bit at a time. He's maybe, you know, practicing and playing warm-up. But with the heart situation, that, that he, the type of situation that he's in, you really have to be ultra-careful. And, uh, you know, um, I, I, I think it's really insightful of the Heat and really um, commendable on them to be to be as conservative as they are with Chris Bosch because that's not like a, an ankle injury. That That's something where Chris Bosch could die on the court. So, you know, it's unfortunate for Chris Bosch and the Heat given that they signed him to a max contract and out there. But you know, that's, that's not a situation where, like, oh, he might re-aggravate a, a hamstring injury or or an ankle. You know, that, that's something where Chris Bosch could, could pass out on the court and die. Uh, so uh, I think it's commendable that they're being as conservative as they are, even if Chris Bosch feels good shoot a three in practice or whatever. Yeah. Okay, definitely. I think the it comes more from – the Heat doing this just because uh, their head coach, Eric Spolstra, I don't know if you know this, he played college basketball at the University of Portland, and he was actually facing off against Loyola Marymount in, I believe, what was it, 1989, when Hank Gathers went down and collapsed on the court and ultimately died on the court. So I think that really plays a big part in the Heat going this way and shutting down Chris Bosh. And I don't think we're going to see him for the rest of this season. But I, it's definitely interesting to see how the Heat will handle him going forward because they've dealt with a life-threatening health situation before with Alonzo Mourning and his uh, kidney, kidney, pro- kidney stone problems. So uh, if there's any organization that's equipped and, and enabled to handle this, it is the Miami Heat. But definitely that's definitely interesting how that will play out going forward and definitely a lot of interesting series and it should be really fun with the two game sevens tomorrow with Miami versus Charlotte and Toronto versus Indiana and definitely looking forward to seeing all four semifinal series but uh, some other stuff going on in the NBA we've got a maybe like four or five new coaching hires and with the big ones being Tom Thibodeau being named the president of basketball operations, a head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves, and also Luke Walton just last night being hired as the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers, and also Scott Brooks being hired by the Washington Wizards as their head coach and president of basketball operations. So just kind of what what are your overall overall thoughts on on these hires, side? Overall, you know, I like all of those hires. I think... uh... Scott Brooks obviously did a good job while he was in an OKC. Um, and I think, you know, I was a fan of Tom Thibodeau. I think he did a really good job in Chicago. You can see it's pretty much the same team this year. They didn't even make the playoffs. So, you know, I like uh, how he's a defensive-minded coach, and I think he'll be able to help those young players in Minnesota who have a ton of potential. So looking for big things out of them, um, you know, in the future. And with the Lakers, um, you know, I think theoretically, I think Luke Walton's a good hire. Uh, you know, he's a former Laker. He has ties to that organization. 
he's a young guy with a little bit of experience in terms of being on the bench just in Golden State. But uh, he, he's going to have a tough job ahead of him. So, you know, I think he's a good hire, but I don't think you know, the Lakers are going anywhere. So I don't think he's going to have like, a good year next year. Okay, definitely. I definitely am most excited to see the Tom Thibodeau situation in Minnesota. This is an absolutely awe-inspiring, uh, fun team to watch, and I'm really excited to watch them next year. And I'm hoping with some miracle that they also get Ben Simmons on their team as well. I would really love to see that front line. And uh, Scott Brooks, I mean, he got criticized for kind of running a simplistic style offense in Oklahoma City, but it kind of looks the same even with Billy Donovan in there this year. And Luke Walton, I just think he's going to struggle. And I really like Luke. He was probably my favorite Laker during that area where where he played. But I, he definitely coached uh, Golden State to a 39-4 record this year as an interim. But, I mean, that was with first-level talent, all-world talent. And he's uh, the talent level for him is really taking a huge step down when he ends this season and starts next season as the head coach of the Lakers. But uh, some other, uh, I guess, uh, openings. Sacramento Kings, who do you think they're ultimately going to hire for their head coach? Um, you, know, you know, they have a lot of candidates out there. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think the ownership needs to get its act together and straight before, you know, it even matters who the head coach is. You need the head coach, the GM, and ownership to be on the same page. You know, in the last couple of years, you saw them clashing. So, um, one, they they need the ownership to stay out of it, and two, they need they need their GM, Wally Divock, to be on the same page as whoever they hire as their next head coach. Um, you know, Divock and um, George Carl were always at odds in terms of what they wanted to do and what they thought with the franchise. And George Carl was someone that they hired after firing uh, Malone, and he only lasted one year. Uh, even though he was a veteran coach who, who might even be a Hall of Fame coach one day, and he got booted out of town after one year because of how, how much the ownership and the GM and the head coach class. Uh, they they really need to kind of figure out their organizational structure and what they want to do um, before it even matters who their next head coach is. And, you know, it's a tough deal with the type of players they have on that team, specifically DeMarcus Cousins. Like, he's one of those players who's almost uncoachable. So um, they I think they really need a disciplinarian to come in there and keep Cousins, in t- you know, intact and on the rope, but at the same time, whoever the coach is, he needs support from the GM and ownership, which George Carl didn't have. Okay, definitely. I, I couldn't agree more. Their organization is absolute fucking train wreck, and they need to get their fucking act together, especially up front with at the top of their organization with, with uh, Vivek Ranadive, their owner, and then down to the executive side with Vlade as the GM and so forth. I definitely, I think they're ultimately going to go with uh, 
I'm thinking Mark Jackson is probably ultimately going to take that position or David Blatt. But David Blatt has also been rumored to the Knicks head coaching job. Uh, who do you think the Knicks ultimately take, uh, ultimately hire as their head coach? Um, you know, I think, I, again, I'm not a big fan of Phil Jackson and the moves that he's made. Um, I think he's going to put in another puppet you know, the way Derek Fisher is a puppet for him. So ultimately, I think Kurt Rambis is probably going to take that position, and he'll be in line with what Phil Jackson wants. At the same time, I don't think that's going to be a good hire. Okay, so, I, I see him kind of going in the puppet way as well, and probably Kurt Rambis is probably going to stick with him. And Kurt Rambis has a absolutely bad reputation throughout the league. I've, a lot of people I've been hearing don't really like him as a coach. But, uh, I mean, Phil Jackson has kind of been rigid with his uh, decision-making. He believes this triangle offense is infinite and it's going to last through any era. Why do you think such the, he has such uh, rigidity with the triangle offense? It's not even an offense that uh, he invented. It's something that was taken from the teachings of Tex Winter. Why, why, do, how do, you, why do you think his ego, ego is so, so big that he's not willing to move away from this triangle offense thing? Well, I think just, just because of how much success he's had, and I think that's really more based on the players he's had, like, you know, Michael Jordan, Shaq in his prime, and Kobe in his prime, than it was based on the triangle. But, you know, I think teams could still be successful in the triangle. They just need strong, uh, you know, leadership and, and coaching, uh, which I don't think Derek Fisher or Kurt Rambitz provide. Uh, I think... In that sort of offense, you need to have a disciplined team, you know, not a traditional set where you have a point guard distributing and setting up the offense, It's you know. So you really need strong leadership there. Uh, it's hard to put in that type of offense with a, an, an inexperienced head coach like Derek Fisher or Kurt Rambis or, or even David Blatt. All right, definitely. Uh, and then lastly, uh, your Houston Rockets, uh, who do you ultimately want them to hire and who do you ultimately think they will hire? Um, you know, I'm a fan of Jeff Van Gundy, and that's kind of the rumors that you're hearing, which is weird. You know, I, it, I think it's always weird that when coaches go back to the positions that they had previously. Um, but I'd love to have him as a hire. Um, but, you know, the team, I think, will still have the same chemistry issues that they had last year, and they really need to work on that, I think. But an experienced head coach like Jeff Van Gundy might be able to to help that situation out. Um, I think it'll be an interesting offseason for the Rockets, just seeing uh, Dwight Howard's probably going to leave and, see, and they have a ton of money. Um, they think they can, can go after some of those free agents like Kevin Durant and Al Horford, but I don't see Durant coming at all. Maybe they'll be able to lure Al Horford or some other free agent, but ultimately, you know, we'll see. Uh, I, I hope that they're able to get someone like Al Horford to replace um, Dwight Howard and get Van Gundy. If, if they're able to do that, I think it'll be a good offseason. I definitely uh, would love to see Jeff Van Gundy back in the coaching circle, and I just 
uh, loved his coaching ability. Even though I'm not as big on coaching as most other people are, I think it's more about the talent that you have on your team. And ultimately, the players are going to decide who who wins and so forth. But definitely with that, it was definitely a pleasure having you on site. I'm sure we'll be having you on again uh, sometime later in the playoffs. And thanks for coming on with me. Yeah, definitely. And everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, hope you enjoy all the playoff action. And I'll be back later this week and maybe in a two or three days to provide a full preview of the boxing match that's coming up on May 7th in Las Vegas between Amir Khan and Saul Canelo Alvarez. So see you guys then. Thank you.